0: What is Adam? Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Brian Senti over Zoom video. Brian was born and raised in New Jersey, and he talks about how he got into music. He started playing music at a very, very, very early age. At three years old, Brian was playing the violin and played that for years through high school, attended college to play the violin, attended Yale for his master's in music composition. He talked to us about working with Dustin O'Halloran, scoring different films and television shows. He's worked with Feist and Mark Ronson, so we talk about that. And around the time the pandemic hit, he decided to dust off the violin. He hadn't been playing it for a handful of years. And uh, he took it out and started writing what became his real first record under his name, Brian Senti, and it's called Manu. You can watch our interview with Brian on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Brian Senti. Hey. Hey, hey, what's up, Brian? How are you? I'm good. I love the setup. Oh, thanks. uh, (laughs) My home studio. (laughs) It's amazing, man. It's amazing.
1: It's a little wall of goodies that go back over there.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. You got a ton of stuff going on there. That's amazing. Thanks, dude cool um i'm adam and this podcast is about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now we'll talk about the record as well yeah
1: nice cool. and i didn't even realize that this was uh, also on video <laughs> oh. so, there you go i well,
0: hope i look okay no you look great and the room nice. looks sick as well <laughs> as we discussed <laughs> good awesome uh, awesome yeah well i guess start off by telling me where were you born and raised I was born um, in
1: Teaneck, New Jersey. I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey. Um, yeah, kind of, um, yeah, normal, suburban New Jersey
0: existence. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about music? How did you get into music? Did you come from a musical household at all?
1: Yeah. Um, my father, uh, who was a minister, um, he, um, he was a singer, so... Um, so, yeah, he, you know, and we kind of grew up going to the church or I grew up going to the church um, with my sister. And, um, and yeah, so we were kind of like required to sing and to, to play the entire time. Mm-hmm. And my father was also kind of keen on me um, being a violinist. So I, I started playing violin at three. I, wow. I kind of don't remember a time when I didn't play violin until
0: later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Three years yeah. old. That's so young. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm amazed true. you could like hold it up and and play it. I mean, I have a six year old. That's why I'm just like shocked that three years old. That's great. Yeah.
1: No, I'm kind of shocked. You know, when I think about it, well, my my parents were very very strict. You know, I think mm-hmm. uh, strict in a way that uh, I don't think we're as strict a <laughs> generation now. I have a two year old, so um,
0: okay, I didn't cool,
1: imagine being that strict either. Um, but yeah, they got me to um. They got me to play the violin, I mean, kids right now they're like they're wearing masks, which we didn't think that Pete like a oh girl wear a mask, so it's right. interesting, like I suppose if you do if if you do uh you know assert yourself, they will follow your direction um
0: that's a good point, that is a good point because you know I mean? yeah
1: yeah, yeah, so um but yeah, that's how that's how I got my start and then um and then uh, you know eventually after taking a bunch of private lessons um ended up going to manhattan school of music preparatory program at wow like 18,
0: 11 or 12 so did you do that as a violin player as, as well a violin player. Yeah. yeah okay and yeah. so that was like your main instrument all the way through high school and
1: that was the main instrument i mean i also played saxophone um i also sang choir i was in the you know wind ensemble and played jazz um but mostly it was violin um and then when I finally got to 17 18 years old um like I kind of had like a little my my first like early life crisis you know where it's like the pressure of this instrument is um yeah I don't I don't know I don't know if I want that to be you know at at that point in time I didn't know if I wanted that to be a part of my life the you know that kind of level of stress and i guess i you know again i'm old enough where it was like before beta blockers and before um <laughs> before the is it done what's the name of this that author who like taught at um juilliard but this you know before like all these books came out on like performance uh-huh. theory and how to essentially like be the best performer you can be and calm down you know um i, I feel like i grew up at the time where it was just like you got to be a rock star. <laughs> <Just laughs> You're your a rock star. Shut up. Don't complain. Sure. Um, that didn't really work that well for me. So that's, that's why my last year I started studying composition.
0: And, oh, okay. Uh, and
1: threw myself into composition.
0: And you've been doing that for a while. I mean, you score a bunch of films and uh, recently television shows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you know. I always, I guess, when you're when you're a violinist too, um, you know, I just figured that I, I should have some sort of skill at, at, at composition. I've played enough pieces in my life, and um, and I'm I'm always kind of a little bit late to the game with certain kinds of things. But I I kind of fell in love with composition after starting to study it and doing and do it, and um, so um, so yeah. Now it's yeah, I've just I guess I've been composing a long time, but I feel like uh, just recently, and also with this record, I'm starting to like oh realize like oh why I'm doing this, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of like as an exercise of skill. Um, but that's my bet. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah, no, I've been
0: doing it a long time. So you, yeah, you, you went to obviously college for this, and then when you finish school, what would like what's the first step you do? You just try to get like hired by a, a company that you can write for, or like are you like playing in, you know, well, this is live, the live Me- theater stuff like that? Yeah, it's I mean,
1: this is the thing. I mean, I I don't think um and I'm sure the education and pedagogy's changed, but um, you know, the classic phrase that like no one really prepares you to be like an artist in school or it's not a really good training for for working in the professional world. I think that definitely applied to me, but in ways that I didn't really realize until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, essentially I was in my second year, I guess, of grad school at Yale. And, um, uh, I had become, you know, a little friendly with Nico Muley and, um, he had suggested that I help Rufus Wainwright, um, with his opera prima donna and um you know at that moment in time coming from my background which is like you know my like i said my my father was like a minister my mom was a dental hygienist um very working class you know and maybe different than a lot of the people who go to yale in general Mm -hmm. and who adapt composition in general um i was like wow a job (laughs) you know like sure like that's pretty great um so and 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 also at that time too um composition i think as like a formal practice was changing um we were still i i took an interview at juilliard but i ended up going to Yale and get into juilliard but i took an i took a meeting with um samuel adler and he was totally shitting on philip glass which i thought was like really really strange considering philip glass went to juilliard um but it was indicative of this mindset of of you know composition faculty that like um they were still holding on to like old con- concepts of what classical music mm. could and should be and um and then you have somebody like nico muley come around who is collaborating with Bjork and Anthony and the Johnsons and, and kind of like merging these two worlds and classical music was, was starting to like, I mean, you know, it'll be written, mainstream, almost
0: mainstream kind of. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it, 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 it was going through this like tectonic plate shape. Yeah. Shifting. Sure. Thing, you know? um, and I guess I was kind of confused as to, I, I had a hard time seeing myself go through, um, you know, being like, well, I didn't have the money to do either, like just locking myself in an apartment in Brooklyn and just like trying to get commissions. And um, I just didn't feel like I, I could take it, could do that with my life because I just didn't come, my parents didn't come from money. And I feel like, I felt like I need to honor them and, and like, and, and, you know, make a better living than that. Um, so I didn't allow that, myself- That'd sp- be a difficult,
0: that'd be a difficult thing to do anyway, right? I mean, you, how are you going to, you have to, reach out to them if you're not getting people you know getting people to to want to you know hire you then you're just kind of sitting there waiting around right yeah at at that point you're you're yeah you're either
1: self-funded or you know which i think a lot of people are (laughs) you know (laughs) uh, i guess
0: yeah especially if you're living in new york
1: right yeah especially if you're living in new york um you know or or you you try and finagle it through through a teaching job and um so anyway, with the confusion of like what an actual composition career would look like, I was so grateful for Nico to reach out to me and to put me in touch with Rufus, and I proceeded um, to go on you know a two to three year two to three year relationship with with Rufus, like helping him out on stuff, and um, and um, you know finding a lot of meaning in that. And then when I finally got off the road for him, with him, I was. You know, again, really confused as to what to do. So I kind of fell mm. into to advertising a bit and worked in, you know, with a company called um, with, um human and started some music production companies. And um and yeah, no, I mean I, I kind of forfeited my 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 badge and gun. I forfeited my artist card for a long time after that. And um as I kind of became more financially secured and um I, I then i i kind of like found where that locker where that artist card was start, stored and uh <laughs> tried to collect it back um, mm-hmm.
0: essentially what um, when when did the, i mean when would you say that that happened was that when you started to uh you know do the scoring and composing on different films or, or like is this even later down the line
1: this is um You know what I I, I would say would be? It would be through the collaborations that I had with Dustin O'Halloran. Okay. Yeah, I'm very indebted to that guy. (laughs) Um, But essentially, I was kind of, um, you know, just meandering through life, trying to, you know, just making a living and starting a family and, um, and, uh, you know, being kind of comfortable with like kind of a more, I'm just going to put my head down and work kind of blue collar approach to like music making. And then, um, you know, I met Dustin and uh, here's this guy who um, also doesn't come from much (laughs) and uh, just approached everything in his life with, with, with artistry and with sensibility. And, um, and I was just like blown away by this guy um, you know, we didn't have like a formal musical education either. Um, but, you know, went on the road with Devix, and and then started making his piano records that essentially led him into film. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And then he, he kind of was comfortable with, uh, making classical music without, um, with kind of w- without the feeling the overwhelming weight of history that like I think a lot of classical music composers kind of go through they're kind of you know you're always trying to I don't know you you're, you're trying to uh, live up to the to the great old you know European masters <laughs> essentially sure and um, and this guy didn't have any of that you know he he was kind of more rock and roll about it and I think a lot of you know people like him have kind of changed where classical music is you know it's it's kind of lost some of that stodgy um uh overly reverent um uh kind of ethos and and now is is much more free-spirited and um much cooler <laughs> than it was back in the day so you know we owe a lot to to people like dustin and Alfred arnolds and niels from and for so many people um, and Nico. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, but anyway, through him, he also was like, Hey man, you, you know, do you play an instrument? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I play violin, but you know, I haven't really taken it that seriously since I was 18. And he's like, dude, just fuck that. Just pick up your instrument. You know, it's a, it's about, um, you know, having, like a a unique perspective on, on your instrument, you know, like you don't have to, you know, it's not like Dustin plays like list, you know, it's, it's (laughs) like, but he has such a beautiful and such a unique touch on, on the piano. And he's like, just, just find your voice on that instrument, you know? And, um, from there I was like, I, you know, I picked up, dusted off this instrument I hadn't played and, you know, seriously in a while. And, uh, and, and started playing it again. I was like, oh shit, man, maybe I, maybe I do have a perspective on this thing. You know, especially <laughs> after all these years, you know, and, sure. and, and worked in pop music and worked with Mark Ronson and worked with random people all over the place. Like, I think I can take all the things that I've learned and um, re-approach this instrument. And uh, so after collaborating with Dustin on some TV shows and stuff for, for Deutsche Grammphon, which was like kind of a kid's dream come true, and also kind of just like, wow, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, I was like, you know, I actually have like a lot of things I want to say on this instrument. And I think I have. Um, yeah, like I think I have quite a unique approach to this instrument. Um, and and then that kind of inspired me also to kind of look back at my family story mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of pull in different musical influences Um so
0: uh yeah that's kind of how i got to here interesting and so with that like when do you because this is your first this is going to be your first like uh project as an artist correctly yeah. yeah like um, yeah
1: and as, like an av- i have another project as like ex mica where i'm like doing like experimental pop music but this is it was kind of that's like a kind of a strange project too because it's it's like I had some sort of like alter ego before I had an ego. Like I never felt kind of like comfortable being like myself, you know, sure. like I'm always in drag. So, um, so it's like, yeah, now I can, you know, gosh, I'm 39. If I can't, if I can't like put something under my name at this point in time, like I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's time. It's time to put something under my name.
0: Was there like a, I mean, you, you talked about finally, you know, dusting off your, your violin and, and really, Going back to to that and your roots, was that around, like, like was there something that you remember, that like, kind of sparked that? Or was it just, like, you know, the pandemic hit? Or, like, how, when do you start, like, really deciding to work on this record?
1: Well, the, the record specifically, yeah, was the pandemic, right? Okay. So, um, here, you know, uh, here we are at a moment in time when everything completely, like, stops and... And quite frankly, like, I'm so grateful to it from a career perspective. Um, Obviously a terrible event, but from a a career perspective, because I feel like um, with the exception of the stuff that I was doing with Dustin, um, I I was just kind of um, on autopilot almost career wise and just, you know, trying to say yes to every gig and not thinking very critically about Uh, about things and um you know kind of uh belying my education belying my my deeper opinions about music and art in general um and then here we have the pandemic and um and i also right before the pandemic happened i had my first child on february 10th 2020
0: congratulations wow that's
1: right before yeah i mean (laughs) everything shut uh, down we had nika and we got so sick and by the time we recovered from whatever cold that we had yeah the world had closed and um you're just like wow should i have had this kid (laughs) you know (laughs) is is this the time to bring somebody into this world? I'm definitely not alone there, but um obviously no.
0: yeah I was gonna say not not at all
1: <laughs> but- yeah, definitely grateful she's here and that we're getting through it, but at that point in time, we didn't know if this was like the end but um but anyway, so um had Nika and and um and the pandemic happens, and no work is coming through, and it's clear that no work is going to come through, and I just had you know the first moment in my life, probably since school, where I'm like, well, you know, what does music mean to me? And what are the stories that, you know, that I'm uniquely positioned to tell? Um, because at this point in time, you know, again, being 39, now I'm 39, but, um, it's not just about, um, putting two chords together that you think are cool or having like a cool melody line or, you know, music has to have a little bit, um, bigger meaning now, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I need to kind of find that story. Um, so, um, so yeah, I I think, I think the first thing that I started to do was essentially just look back on my, on my family. My father had passed away in 2016 Mm -hmm. and, um, my you know both my parents kind of come from like their traumatic stories um and you know my father kind of left cuba in and, in and, and during the the cuban revolution and my fa and my mother her father was murdered in colombia and and the wow. mother died shortly after and she was an orphan and um they have these like very intense traumatic histories and here i am being born in new jersey when i'm when I was born and, and going to schools like Carnegie Mellon and Yale, and I always found it kind of difficult um, just to connect their story to mine. And I, I think part of that was by design because my parents were a part um, of a generation of immigrants that um, were constantly saying, "Like you're American, you're you know, live the American dream." Like we brought you here for a reason. They didn't made no attempt to teach me Spanish. They kind of divorced me from from their from their history and from their culture. Um, because their culture, because their history was their specific history was so traumatic. Sure. Um, not that their specific history is that unique um, to those people. But um but that's that's how they that's how they dealt with their trauma and and also um you know I think the boomer generation is also, you know, largely untherapized, <laughs> particularly people who don't come from like a wealthy class. Um, um, also because therapy didn't get as advanced until probably the 80s or 90s either. So um, so um, yeah my my parents always dealt with things by like kind of shutting down, not telling stories. But then when you start to have a kid and then you're in kind of a worldwide pandemic, you you start you start you really want to like connect the dots and you want to figure out, you know, you want to go back and, and, and kind of be able to lean on like a family story or family history or, um, and it's not that I was able to obviously get that from my father who had passed, nor my mom, who's, you know, relatively untherapized or untherapized, you know, never went to therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. But I tried to do it through music because we, I was listening to some of this, um, you know, we were listening to traditional music uh, when I was younger and as a kid and, and I and I wanted, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to bridge that gap between those two different worlds, um, and then I realized that like my style of, you know, I had these different kind of extended extended techniques that could could kind of help evoke that kind of connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, that's. I, I did uh, like, like, just like hearing your story. I mean, having your parents come here from, from, tra- you know, trauma, obviously they come here yeah. and then, you know, you're born into, you're born in Jersey. And then I can see <laughs> what, you know, you're saying where it's like your parents didn't want to teach you Spanish or like, they kind of wanted to just like put that in the past and be like, here's the li like, you're going to be able to do whatever you want. You're here in America or whatever. And now yeah. you're looking back being like, well, what, how, you know, that's where my heritage came from like how do I tie into that and then yeah. with the record you're you're trying to yeah you said bridge the gap between the two yeah and
1: and there's so much loss when people do stuff like that i mean there's so much there's so much beauty in being hispanic and um mm-hmm. and i am hispanic <laughs> you know what i mean right like, right yeah no matter no matter how you know how divorced you you keep somebody from a culture it's like if you know if 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 you look hispanic if you look chinese if you look like you're from you know you you are and even if you don't look like you are inside you you have you have that story inside you and i do think we i also do think that the trauma of of your parents and maybe even the trauma of your grandparents you carry um, on some level um so um so yeah that that was like a big a big part of it and um you know and and i think uh, another point that's related to that is just um because there's so much beauty in it you want you want to find you don't want to like look at part of who you are as ugly you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um you know you want you kind of, you, you want to make good on like all the aspects of like your, your personality and your history. And so I, I had to make that something worth admiring and, and worth triumphing on, on some level, um, you know, that my, my Hispanic heritage essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another kind of experience that kind of helped that, that's like, that was like, a maybe this a little strange is that uh, before I had a kid, um, my production partner um justin had um had invited me to do like an ayahuasca ceremony which um
0: <laughs> how interesting okay
1: yeah which um you know i think uh it was uh deeply moving you know mm-hmm. um, and not that it's something that i would recommend to everybody but um but uh you know it, it was such an intense, like, you know, kind of psychedelic experience. And, and when I went through it, it kind of, um, I don't know, for some reason it gave, you know, it gave me some peace and, um, it, and made me feel that I could, um, when, I, when I looked back on that experience, it made me feel like I could also connect the dots between, you know, indigenous folk music and Western classical music, the music that I had grown up with. Um, in, a, in a psychedelic state, all things are kind of equal in a way, you know, you don't, you don't question the goat moving, you know, in, right. in, in, like in a Boonwell film, you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't question like, you know, the goat, the goat moving across the, the floor or whatever. Um, and uh, I think I needed that permission in mm-hmm. a way, um, because I think again, with my classical upbringing and also with the, the mantra kind of dictated from my parents, um, I I was like, oh, these things don't. You don't put these two things together, you know. And I I heard a lot of that actually in composition school. Like, oh, these things don't belong, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Belong here, this now I'm sure no one's given that. <laughs> no one's giving that instruction, but like you know in the 90s yeah Well, you
0: you even still kind of hear that with people that have been classically trained or they're really yeah yeah yeah, and like music theory or just not having because i've spoke to a lot of musicians and you have the people that have been trained that way and they know what note should go with what and like when it comes to writing and composing that's where they go but Somebody that has zero, uh, you know, knowledge in music theory might just throw a couple chords together and be like, "Whoa, that sounds really cool." And If you come from the other side of it, you'd be like, uh, "That there's no way that would, you know, should work." But it, it's it's kind of a yeah. weird juggling thing.
1: It, it's weird. It, well, it's just it's arrogance, right? Too. It's just like you think you think you hold the secrets to music, and it's and it's an overemphasis and overreference of like Western music history. You know, mm-hmm. and just the power of like you know white european
0: composers because <laughs> right, i mean who it's all
1: composers it's like yeah you know,
0: it's all you know yeah
1: subjective like right it's all from art from other places guys yeah, yeah. yeah um and and just as powerful and just as amazing and and in some cases more amazing and more powerful um and uh and and yeah but sometimes you have to you have to find a way to give yourself permission mm-hmm. um I was, you know, as I was listening to, or not listening, I was reading this, like, um, this interview with R. R. Rose, who's like, um, I went to the, this past weekend to um, the Movement Festival in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you
0: know about it? I've heard of it. I've never, yeah, I've yeah. It's never like a, been, but I know what it is.
1: It's techno festival. Yeah. And, um, I just had such a moving, moving um, experience watching a set from, this, this artist, R. Rose. And um, she, um, you know, went to Mills College. And, and um, I think, you know, grew, but, but grew up in like doing electronic music, and then mm-hmm. found themselves going back to um, to school. Um, and there are so many, you know, really creative and um, avant-garde professors that were teaching at um at mills college but you know i think she wanted to um or they wanted to um you know go you know find you know uh, essentially like study classical music to see if that's something that they wanted to be to be a composer mm-hmm. um and eventually you know learned all of these um you know, it was like studying all these amazing techniques, but then, but then kind of like rediscovered a love for techno and like brought all of those, you know, some of the things that they learned back into techno and now is making the most amazing techno, you know, right. you've ever heard. most experimental and progressive and just totally moving techno you've ever heard. And it's, it's, I don't know. I saw a little bit of a journey that this person was going through, um, and uh and in in some ways it it seems like they also needed permission you know in a way Mm -hmm. Um, or they were they they were searching for that permission in a way and then found that like the permission was was there within themselves you know Mm -hmm. and um I don't know I could really relate to that journey because because uh, you know at least with Manu was I I think there's no way I could have written that record 15 years ago you know it's just Mm -hmm. I, I would have felt like, oh, I, I shouldn't. I don't. I, I don't know if I can tell this story. I don't know if, I, like, if it feels right to bring in, you know, uh, you know, some indigenous folk material into classical music. These things are, you know, should remain separate. But it's, but then you give yourself permission, and, and then you're on the, or- you, you know, you're you're on the other side of a of a conversation. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's amazing. Uh with this record, did you record it in that room you're sitting in now? So yeah, I recorded
1: um I recorded it all here in the beginning and um and then worked with uh this cellist Noah Hoffeld. Um and you know was just essentially doing everything remote. And um and then um you know working with Justin Moskovich um he's like dude <laughs> like let's do, you got to do this is good you know but you got to do this like legit and i was also just recording at 48k and just kind of you know being messy about it essentially <laughs> because i think if i if, if i was too kind of organized about it in the beginning i probably would have never finished either um and um so he um kind of pushed me to re-record everything and um in ninety six k and 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 re recorded at igloo and then and then there's one orchestral part that's recorded by Prague, um, the orchestra there. Um, mm. But yeah, but I think one uh, one thing to mention regarding the recording thing is that um, again, having gone to classical music school and being very comfortable like working in Sibelius and in score, um, I just knew from the beginning that if I just wrote if I wrote this stuff and score. I'm going to screw the whole thing up. You know, it's going to lose all its vibe mm-hmm. and the vibe of this, of, of some of the spoke music is, is completely opposite what's achievable in a score normally. And, um, it needs to have an improvisational kind of, um, imp- you know, um, capricious almost like feel to it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this piece, I'm going to, I'm going to make it by, uh, by just recording every single part individually. (laughs) Um, which is one thing if you're making pop music, but it's a different thing if you're trying to make something that's, I mean, there's a pop aspect to this music too, but um, right. But it's compositional. And I think to keep everything, I mean, I shorthanded some notes to myself, mostly in just words, um, but i think it was an interesting thing to like essentially compose by recording things that are as innate as like the last track of that record via Mm -hmm. um but um i had done this one track um before for a compilation record on k7 um called Tehran, and um and uh I tested that this like theory out there, and um, I kind of in my mind was just equating the idea of like recording each individual part as like one brushstroke. You know, like a painter only has sure, like, one, yeah one brushstroke at a time. They don't have like you know the retrograde um, plugin on Sebelius to just <laughs> completely retrograde a paint. You know, unless it's right. like, a digital art form. Um, yeah, sure. So they, they they have to go one brushstroke at a time, and I was like, well, I'm gonna go. You know it's also a brush, right? the bow mm-hmm. it's like right one, right one yeah. bow stroke right. at a time <laughs> sure. go one bow stroke at a time and and in a way, and I think it's very it's very palpable in tehran but it's also pal- palpable in this record too. There's mm-hmm. like kind of a weird painterly feeling to it um and uh yeah it, it's just you know it's just interesting to kind of like imbue a piece of music with that kind of a vibe. Um, rather than again, from a compositional school perspective, the kind of uh, trying to be God <laughs> mm-hmm. compositional design process. It's
0: mm-hmm. like,
1: everything is figured out. I can show you the mathematical algorithm that I did right. Right based on. Um, and if you don't like this music, it doesn't matter because it's based on math.
0: Right, right. And here's he the notes, and you can play it exactly how I want. Yeah, it you can right play now. it exactly
1: like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it is. And you see, there's a second theme. You see there, it's right there. Yeah. So, uh, development. And it's, sure. uh, and uh, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? So, yeah. or we have enough of that. We just have a lot of that. Right. Possible, you know, it's still good, but uh, there's other ways. There That's are, like, nice.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, having that kind of, like, like you said, giving yourself permission kind of unlocked a lot of, yeah. things for you and 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 creative uh creatively being able to just put this record together as you want it and not think of all of the almost like the schooling that you had learned and and what you had been taught you know
1: yeah i don't know man i had to really i had to really unlearn a lot of that stuff it's like the church
0: yeah <laughs> the church. No, i mean it'd be hard i can't imagine. it's like
1: yeah having gone to church my entire life as a kid too i was like oh shit maybe maybe that's not good Be you know maybe this thing that I, th- I thought was like moralistic behavior in the church is not serving me very well out inside in the real world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's the same thing with gospel music school. It's the same thing. You're like, Oh, this, this thing that I thought was like a rule and law of music creation is a, uh, n- it's like, it's, n- it's very much not a law. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This whole, this whole like schematic that you have for how you're thinking about music is also wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of be born again in a different, you know, kind of reconstruct your whole system of ethics or reconstruct your whole system of of music making. And uh, once you do that, you're probably going to be a happier person and also a better artist.
0: No, for sure. And I think that goes with, yeah, like almost anything, if you have been doing something a certain way for such a long time, and it's like technically the correct way to go back and try to, learn it differently or or try to do something differently that you like against what you had been taught it's like yeah ridiculously I'm just thinking like I grew up skateboarding and and my son was trying to learn and he was doing something wrong when he's trying to do this trick and I because I had been doing it for so long I couldn't replicate what he was doing because my the muscle memory was there like I knew what he was doing because I used to do the same thing and it was like I'm trying to explain him like at one point it will just click but I can't like go back and show you, it was weird. Like I, yeah. I felt like it was hard to do something that was, is like the natural thing you would do when you're learning. Once you learn it, it's like, oh, I can't go back and like unlearn what I did to show you how I got to where I was. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. it's just but, Fascinating. But, but hopefully with
1: skateboarding, you can kind of you can kind of uh be like well now i'm a dad it's okay i don't need to like no but i, I was just things. trying to
0: like try to relate to you in some way like i couldn't know no, no, but I, another but way the, to like I think to go it's, back it's,
1: a, it's actually a good analogy because the thing is is that i i was like it, it was either change or die you know what i mean uh-huh. it's like wow this is not serving me i better like figure out another way to approach this otherwise you know, you're not a composer anymore, man. Like you're, you're not going to be writing any music anymore because like you, you're, you're stuck, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so for me, it did, it did feel like change or die, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but hopefully with skateboarding, you can, you know, on a long board going down, you know, in, in Venice and just being not, not performing most crazy tricks.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's just yeah, crazy to think, I mean, to unlearn something and kind of redo it a yeah, totally different way or rethink yeah. a different way. But I bet you a lot of that, I mean, obviously all that stuff you learned and, and the technical aspect of it all, it makes things like scoring television shows or film so much easier for you because you could probably hear like, oh, this part should have something that sounds like this and you kind of know exactly where to go. Or am I wrong with that?
1: Yeah, I I think what it is is it's it's one it's one toolbox. And it's okay. good to have a toolbox. You need a toolbox. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but at the same time, um I think it really is the fallacy, you know, I mean we have to tear it all down, you know what I mean? I think it really mm-hmm. is a fallacy to be like, oh, you know, I I I know all the Western Canada music. I'm gonna be great at scoring your film. It's like uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you know, what right, I mean? right. Well, yeah,
0: that's a great point. Because
1: maybe what I want is just some, you know, crazy, ex- you know, experimental electronic artist to do something that's completely against picture. You know, mm. completely mm-hmm. against the drama. Like, yeah, and no, you know, unfortunately, like there are no real rules. You know, we are living in this like subjective space you know and um and we're trying to you know we're trying to make art here we're trying to create something new i mean, you know if you were born in 1850 and there was filmmaking back then which there wasn't then you would be great at it <laughs> right but, no that's uh, a great point but it's, but it's 2020 man like you're yeah. the fact that you know mozart doesn't you know a lot of people right.
0: <laughs> no 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 for sure even like what you're saying like just because this dramatic part of the, the the show or movie or whatever typically has this sound that goes along with it. That doesn't mean it's right or it needs to be done that way.
1: It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't mean that. And and also going a step further, it's like, let's say you get good at film scoring, you know, good at film scoring, you know, it's like, um, well, you're probably, uh, you know, like, is that the point of it? You know, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever want to be that good at film scoring, you know in I way, oh, yeah. you, kind of, you kind of want to be always discovering something and always trying something new and pushing the art form. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you're, if, if everything sounds like it's the score for, you know, CSI, then yeah, technically you're a good tv score but you're not going to make like a very interesting show no no offense to the person who scores csi or
0: (laughs) right no but i see what you're saying but but that applies to
1: that person too i'm sure they feel the same way like here you are you know in season one billion of the show it's like can we push can we push this can we do a little something a little different you know
0: yeah and then dick wolf's like no you yeah, continue <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly I was, as I had like, yeah. <laughs> for the first fifty well, seconds of the show.
1: <laughs> I, I had a second where I worked for Mike Post, or like I did. I won this like um. I didn't work. I did a what What was the name? P. Carpenter BMI fellowship. Um, back in the day, I don't even think they have this BMI fellowship anymore. But um, I got to sit in and like spend a couple months with Mike Post and see how he works and. Honestly, when you're a part of something so transformative like that, you know, mm-hmm. and and he's such a transformative person himself, um, that's just a blessing, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's just an amazing thing to be a part of it. Um, but I think even a person like him, you know, when he's doing something else, he wants to try something different, you know? Mm-hmm. Music is, a, is about evolution. And, um, but yeah, it's, there is something comforting about the fact that like, when you see a law and order episode, it's law and order.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're like, I know the theme song. I know they haven't really updated the intro for like, you know, 20 years, but like, you know, something like that.
1: (laughs) And I have so much, so much respect for Mike Post. I mean, just, you know, when I was, you know, had the joy and honor to see him work and just kind of like old school, he had like a, he had this, you know, Like a MIDI keyboard and and just a mirror that was like reflecting back onto onto um, the show and he would just like play the show down and just like you know score the show like that and
0: that's crazy
1: and that's a vibe you know and it's a throwback like silent film kind of a vibe almost Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, such a unique perspective and Mm -hmm. uh, but but if you tried to copy Mike Post today like no there's already Mike Post. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. You no,
0: know,
1: and that's your and if and if you're, God forbid, mentioning like Mozart or like classical music, it's like, well, I don't know, man. That's even worse than saying <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna copy my post. <laughs> right.
0: Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much, Brian, for hanging out with me, man. I really appreciate yeah. your time. This has been great. Thanks, man. No, thanks for having me. Um and uh, yeah, I love your podcast. So oh, thank you. I love what you're doing. I love the record, and um, I didn't know that you uh, you scored that show for, for Peacock. Uh, what's it called? Too so late. Save me. Oh, save me! Yeah, I yeah. want to see that. Like I've seen ads for it on my yeah. on my Peacock thing, and I'm like, oh, that looks really good. And such then now, great I, show. now I saw that you're scoring. I'm like, I'm and I'm in. I gotta start it like this evening. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's such a good show. Very hard though. I mean, you have
0: kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's I'll yeah, watch with so, my wife. We yeah, like we, all that weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that the true crimey it's type weird stuff. That when you're
1: scoring those scenes and it's just like this terrible scene you know and you're just like oh my god and you have to watch it again <laughs> and you're like, yeah it's terrible it's a feeling as terrible as i think it should feel like it should feel <laughs> terrible you know
0: yeah um, i'm excited though it's just a i'm uh, yeah i would imagine that it's you're you think it's great yeah yeah
1: it's a good no no i'm serious that's good tv
0: Okay, cool. I'm going yeah, to check so it out. I'm really excited yeah, to see
1: I that. It's wearing TV. So. It definitely you, it, not just because I worked on it. I'm
0: just saying. I was gonna say it definitely uh it gave me a, another reason to be like, I, "Yeah, I really want to start watching this." And then I saw there that you, you worked know. on it. I'm like, "Okay, now I know. I know. I know." Brian, he worked on the on the there on the go. show. So there we go. I'm gonna do the it. Lenny James <laughs> is a genius. So, <laughs> so. Amazing. Yeah. Well, again, dude, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I have one more question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oof. Um. Maybe maybe watch that uh Kanye doc <laughs> That's a good one though.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would say, you know, uh I, been, I just started I just watched like the first episode of it. But um, you know, obviously we all have opinions of Kanye, of, of recent Kanye, but but Kanye at the beginning and seeing how supportive his mom was, um, and uh, you know, just kind of that push to be different and just that push to be who you are and 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 not to not to lose that you know um is so important you know i like i just mentioned i feel like i lost that for a decade (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um but you you know if you do lose it forever man it's it's going to be it's going to be depressing so you have to hold on to to what makes you you and 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 um, what makes you unique and and um I think oprah might have said too that uh all you need in this world is one person who loves you <laughs> um and you know that for kanye was uh, donda his mom and uh and uh i think that uh you know that pushed him to be the person that he you know to make all those successful records and and um so yeah i think uh maybe maybe it's a it's a mix of that just you know find the people who love you and who are supportive of you and and don't lose sight of like what makes of what makes you you mm-hmm. and watch the Kanye kind of doc which is great i didn't score it but it's great